Welcome to Debating Metal. If you're checking us out for the first time, my name is Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and my co-host is Chris K. For today's episode, we are doing a head-to-head between two debut albums released in 1986, just a mere five months apart, from two bands who ultimately are both blues-based bands and took very different approaches in achieving success with their debut albums. This week, we're pitting Cinderella's Night Songs against Tesla's Mechanical Resonance. From opposite coasts in the U.S., Cinderella from Philadelphia and Tesla from Sacramento, both bands took the country by storm via MTV Airplay in 1986 and 1987. Today, we go song for song to see which band has the best debut album. So sit back, relax, and crack open a cold one as Cinderella's Night Songs goes head-to-head against Tesla's Mechanical Resonance. Two debuts, one winner. So Chris, what do you got? Now, we have to go through the debate before we can make that <laughs> assessment. <laughs> I was like, what? We're going right into it. <laughs> yeah, right into it. Um, okay, so you know we're back in the 80s again because um, it's a popular, popular movement of metal. Um, and we've got Cinderella, who basically formed a, a few years prior to 1986 and um, formed by Tom Kiefer and... and uh, Eric Brittingham, and they're putting together their debut album. They they were actually seen by Gene Simmons. Uh, he wanted to sign them, but there was really no interest from the record companies. And then Bon Jovi saw Cinderella, uh, immediately wanted to get them signed. He got them to his A&R guy. The A&R guy was interested, but he was only interested in a developmental contract. And then, you know, through negotiations, they basically um, got a full-blown record contract and their debut album, you know, they they were put into the studio to do their debut album. So they kind of went a different route. You know, they didn't do the, you know, incessant touring that, that, you know, a lot of the L.A. bands did, you know, going up and down the coast and stuff like that, Um, you know, in in club gathering touring when I'm talking about, you know, packing the clubs in um but they they definitely you know i i guess you could say paid their dues in a way you know going through the 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 what what is that called going through the motions of trying to get a record contract so so there's something kind of interesting about cinderella i learned a while back um when they first started before they ever became famous they did a local commercial for a hot dog uh, uh, like shop called Pat's Dogs. You can find the commercial on YouTube. It's pretty interesting, and they sound the same. They're just they're singing a song for Pat's Dogs <laughs> in in uh, glam metal style. Wow, there you go. That's that's quite interesting. <laughs> that's their first music video. Yes, first music video is a commercial for Pat's Dogs. <laughs> Hot dogs. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So let's get into Cinderella and their debut album, Night Songs. Okay. So Night Songs was released on, well, I've got two different dates here that are conflicting. It's either June 9th, 1986, or August 2nd, 1986. Oh, wow. I have June 6th, 1986. See, that's <laughs> weird. So if you go all the way back to see what day is a Tuesday. Um, that probably be the closest day, but, um, uh, if, if we're talking about June, but, uh, because that's when, uh, t- things came out 
on back in the day, Tuesdays. Nowadays, it's Fridays. Um, I think I think I just was dyslexic or di- dysgraphic, whatever, where I wrote six instead of nine. <laughs> but <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I've got two. I'm seeing two different dates: June 21st or June 9th. That's weird. Hmm. So it was it was the summer of 1986. <laughs> All right, it came out on Mercury Records. It was produced by Andy Johns, who's uh, believe the brother of Glyn Johns. The, the the and they both had some association with Led Zeppelin. Uh, it was recorded in several different studios. One was Bear. One was Bearsville Studios in Bearsville, New York, Cajun Victory Studios in Gladwin, Pennsylvania, Warehouse Studios in Philadelphia, PA, Sigma Sound Studios in Philadelphia, and the Sound Factory in LA. So this thing was recorded all over the place. Um, And Cajun Victory Studios, kind of a side note here, is when I wanted to become a producer... Um, and I, and I was taking, uh, some, some courses and stuff like that in, in this, one of those for profit kind of schools that really never get you a job, um, and just put you in debt by $20,000. Cajun Victory Studios was one of the studios that I wanted to, uh, to that's, that's $80,000 in inflation. For yes, you, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> all the songs were written by Tom Kiefer and the album peaked at number three on the Billboard 200 album charts, and it was certified double platinum in 1987 and triple platinum in 1991. All right, so let's uh, get right into this, and let's get down uh, song by song here. Okay, first song in the album, Night Songs. Um, so this, for me, this is a slow, plodding, sludgy blues track. Um, it's pretty kind. Of, it's kind of heavy. In, in that way, you know, the sludginess kind of makes it heavy. Um, it's got some really cool harmony guitars in between the verses. So I, for as a, as a first song I'm hearing from Cinderella on an album. Now, this is not, a, this album's not a surprise to me. Um, I've heard the single Shake Me at this point. Um, but, you know, putting on the album and this is the first song I hear, this isn't what I was expecting. You know, this slow, bluesy track, but... It wasn't bad. I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. And I kind of, you know, later on, as, as I got along with the rest of the album, I kind of always skipped this one because it was slow. Um, Shake Me was kind of more along the lines of what I wanted to hear. But um, I don't think this is a bad song. What do you think about it? It's it's different for an opener, right? Because it's not as fast and energetic as a lot of openers on an album. Right. I think it was kind of a bold choice in that way. Um, yeah, absolutely kind of bluesy, slow, plodding, moody even. You know, and that kind of fits that name, Night Songs, I guess. Um, You know, to me, when I'm listening to this, I'm hearing, you know, Tom's the main songwriter. And I think in his, he's coming from a singer perspective and a lot of the ways he writes these songs because the vocal line is the focus. You know, everything else is kind of there to support the vocal line. And, um, what what really stood out to me in this track though is the the solo which is around like the 230 mark um it, it's it's pretty good it, the the um the, there's like this kind of arabic sound to it too which is interesting too because there's this um like um the bending of the notes in a certain way so it has kind of this worldly feel to it. And I, I actually like it as an opener and in a strange way, even though you almost feel like shake me would be, uh, you know, more bombastic start to it, but this works in a weird way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a build, 
in that regards. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I thought, I thought, you know, when you look back at when I look back down at now, I think it's pretty cool because back then I'm like, I literally, I didn't trash the song, but I, I skipped it. I just did not want to play it. But you know, as 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 you know, tastes change over the years. You begin to appreciate certain things, and there's a lot yeah. to appreciate about this song. All right, uh, song number two, "Shake Me." That's the first single. That was the, the one that was on MTV. That's the one that was on the radio. It's a really cool anthem. Um, basically, the question I have to ask is, uh, "Cowbell, anyone?" Um, this song is <laughs> just cowbell all the way through. <laughs> so uh, it's you know. There's not a lot to say because it's been heard a million times. It's a really cool track. It was their first single, their first hit. Um, so um, what do you think about the song? So it wasn't just their first single and their first hit. It was also their first music video. Ooh. And so what's what's so great about this, this and the other two music videos from this album is so it follows a Cinderella story, right? You got Cinderella hanging out on her bed and her two evil or wicked stepsisters come in and they're saying, we're going to the show and you're not, but little do they know she's going to, you know, transform into a metal girl and go to the show to see (laughs) Cinderella. So, um, you know, as far as the actual song goes, you know, it's, it's, it's a like simple bluesy sound. Um, the focus again is on the vocals, uh, but I really enjoy the the baseline kind of driving things along, you know, adding some subtle background elements. Um, a lot of the stuff here is is fairly focused and simple, um, but there are underlying elements a lot of times with, uh, you know, like a, a little bit of a glissando or this and that, you know, that kind of changes things up. Um, and to cap things off with the video, um, so Cinderella gets a ride with the band while the stepsisters are left disappointed, you know? So we'll see more of them as things go on though. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting uh, series of videos. I forgot all about that part about it. Um, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the videos uh, when I was researching this album, but there are, there are some interesting things that happen in the videos that, that tie them all together. So that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. And I'm sure you saw them a ton on MTV. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I remember the whole thing back in the day and I believe, I have. I don't think I have the video for this album on VHS, but I think I have the the, the Long Cold Winter uh, home video. So I think there's okay. one, something like that. I know I have something from them as a as a home video. Um, so it's pretty cool. All right. So the next song is Nobody's Fool, which is the second single off the album, and it's basically you know at this point in in the '80s, it is the mandatory ballad. And um, but this is a very good song. Um, as, as far as mandatory ballads go, you know, this fits right into their style, their groove and everything like that. And, and Tom, you know, does, he pulled out a lot of emotion in the performance of this track and it really shows and it really comes across on the song, you know, when you're listening to it. So there's a lot put into this song and, and that definitely shows in the fact that, it be you know with, especially with the video it, it was a huge hit on MTV it was a hit on the radio so it it's it definitely did what it was supposed to do which was drive the album sales and you know I'm sure the record company was very happy oh for sure I mean this this I would say is probably the biggest hit off that album um, at least by today's standards I'm looking at say Last FM it's got 
almost double the the actually you know 1.5 the amount uh, of listens is shake me um double what somebody save me has you know that's that's a big big hit for them you know really good ballad very memorable um and like you said yeah there's a ton of emotion poured into the song and you can tell it's it's very well done um now again this is the second video in in the album um now the stepsisters are having to drive home disappointed um or drive somewhere else we don't we don't really know yet uh but they don some uh clock hats which is important for some reason and uh, and i mean they have clocks on their heads and uh they're driving a bizarre polka dotted car um band <laughs> bizarre <laughs> uh the band brings um uh, send or yeah, the band brings the girl Cinderella into a different venue. So they left one venue to drive to a smaller venue to play a private concert. Uh, but halfway through the song, not even halfway, like at the point where Tom first says, uh, I'm nobody's fool, uh, she runs out of the building dramatically. And it's so she can get home before her, uh, her metal girl clothes change back to her normal hot girl clothes so you know um <laughs> at the end though she returns and tom's like i still dig in you know um <laughs> it's so silly it's so 80s and um you know the um the stepsisters try to get into the band's car again and uh you know even their clock hats don't impress the band so um yeah fun video really good song and so that's part two of our three-part video epic <laughs> there we go <laughs> okay so that brings us to song number four which is nothing for nothing um so this is the part of the album where you know obviously the first two were singles they, they were very obvious that they were going to be the kind of the songs that were singles um and so you get to this you get to nothing for nothing which is the tracks that you know essentially no one ever knows about um but i for me nothing for nothing is a really catchy riff very catchy chorus um i think it's a really cool song um it just kind of goes right along it, it brings this the pace back up from the ballad pace more towards the shake me style of pay, you know pacing so i think it's a cool transition to, to to get back into the rest of the album um what do you think i mean it's a heavier rocker than what we've heard from the beginning of the album so you know the first track was very bluesy and slow then you know shake me kind of was more of a rocker but this this one takes it even further it's got a nice hook a little less bluesy in the sound more glam metal kind of sounding um and you know i would say like the the solo is is one of those the the ones on the album that has a little more edge than some of the other stuff so it's a pretty tight simple rocker i like the song Oh, so you you mentioned the solos um, a couple times now, and I, I I do need to um, point out. So Cinderella at this time at the making of the album was Tom Kiefer on on vocals and guitar, Jeff Labar on guitar, Eric Brittingham on bass, and there was a session drummer that they brought in, Jody Cortez. Um, and then right after the sessions were done, there was another drummer that was hired, who I believe lasted like a couple of weeks. And then they brought in Fred Curry, who happened to be the guy who ends up making it on the album cover. Um, so Fred Curry, who is basically considered part of the classic lineup, um, never played drums in this album. 
didn't mm. play a single cowbell. <laughs> uh, and then they had a guy named Barry Benedetta who played lead guitar on Nothing for Nothing, Push Push, and Back Home Again. So it does it does kind of um, you know make you wonder. And I, I believe it was uh, Andy Glynn's or excuse me, Andy John's choice to sit there and say, okay, we need something a little bit better. And I think at the time, if I'm not mistaken, when I read back in the history, is that Jeff Labar was still as he just wasn't as well versed of a guitar player as he later became. You know, that happened sometimes with these bands in this time period because, you know, the record companies were trying to find acts, you know, to, to make money off of this, this phenomenon that, you know, hair metal, glam metal was. And sometimes the guys had the look and they're like, they can learn the instrument later. They got the look. You know, right, and so you know that wasn't always the case, obviously, but sometimes it was. So, exactly, and I I think that's partially this case because Jeff Labar came in later. I mean, the band was formed by Eric and Tom, so mm-hmm. um, they found him, and he, I mean, he's a great guitar player. Was you know, sadly, he passed away a couple. Uh, was it last year? I think it was. Uh, let's see, uh, two thousand twenty-one. Yeah, twenty-one. So yeah, so it was last year. year. Um, but uh. You know, he. I've always enjoyed the stuff that he played, and, and and you know, I've seen him several times in concerts, so it was always pretty cool. All right, um, so that brings us to "Once Around the Ride," um, song number five. Uh, I like this song a lot. Um, it's got a really cool riff on it. Um, the vocal melody line on this is what makes the song for me. It's just the just the, the phrasing he's got in the verses, and then you know, once he hits the chorus, the chorus is a little simple in that regards but i think it's the it's the the regular verse melodies that that are that are pretty cool for me so yeah i mean it's a it's kind of a fast-paced rocker it reminds me a little bit of like um there was there was some songs that were um kind of associated with being played at like carnivals or um like fairs and that kind of stuff where uh-huh. they, in the eighties, like, you know, like more fast paced songs. And I just remember them. Like every time I went to like a, a fair or something like that, you know, the, if you're getting on the Ferris wheel, that would be the song, you know? And it's kind of funny right. once around the ride, it almost has that same kind of connotation. Um, but that's, that's kind of what it reminds me of. Like this would be a good driving song or a workout playlist song, something like that. It's, really fast-paced rocker um a little less bluesy than some of the other stuff um but i but i like it it's pretty cool yeah yeah it's it's just a simple cool song yeah uh, it, it doesn't like. like stand out as a as a single or anything like that but it has a, a a good like it fits really well on the album in in that regard and and one other thing to take note this is 1986 so there's vinyl involved this is the last song on side 1 so when you look at it in that regards it's it's a it's a the faster the fastest of all the songs on side 1 it makes sense that it ends the side so that that's another reason for its placing on the album yep so now song number 6 hell on wheels so essentially you flip the vinyl over you put this song on and basically it picks up the pace from where it left off hell on wheels up tempo rocker of a song extremely catchy chorus uh, i love this song as far as this album is concerned um you know 
it's definitely, I think it's even more up-tempo than once around the ride. So it, it really jumps the gun here at this point. Uh, and they're, you're just on a really cool, you know, no pun intended, ride through this album so far. Um, I like it. Yeah, I mean, it continues, like I said, that kind of driving vibe. Um, it, you're right. It is more up-tempo, a little faster paced than, than once around the ride. Uh, I think it's a great kind of energetic way to start uh, side two. The gang vocals, you know, are, are, are nice kind of put in there. Um, you know, it's it's uh, has a few more bluesy elements, but that's that's more ties into the bluesy half of this album so good way to start side two yes excellent now song number two song number two song summer song number seven on the album (laughs) is somebody save me this is the third single on the album extremely catchy chorus this is to me we we've always talked about the song that stands out as the single this is that song for me it it definitely sounds like there was a little bit more work put into the production of this song than any of the other songs in the album um, it doesn't sound as flat dynamically as the rest of the album does. And I'll talk a little bit about that when we're done with all the songs, but this definitely has the, the better or the more, um, input or, or, or the more production work on this song to make it the single. And it, and it worked for the most part. Well, that would be also reflected in the music video. Because in this one, <laughs> they are in the studio, and uh, the producer's telling them, you know, uh, we got to take another take. That one wasn't good enough. And the band looks annoyed as hell, giving him death stares. Uh, but they decide to, to continue playing and take this take on the on the, uh, the track. So magically, halfway through, we're transported to a live show with the screaming crowd. So concert footage. And, um, you know, finally, we get to the, uh, they get the recording down. And Tom says, hey, guys, uh, you think this is going to be a hit? And uh, are you, you think we have a hit on this one? I think is what he says, actually. And then the stepsisters come in and they're they're like wow it's them and they're walking to the band and they go right past them to bon jovi and richie sambora and uh so that they blame it on fred and then they walk away laughing that's a <laughs> odd end to the video <laughs> we don't see cinderella again i guess uh she's you know back in her turning into a pumpkin or whatever but uh the stepsisters have a happy ending by meeting uh, bon Jovi and the former guitarist for Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora. So the, the big thing about Bon Jovi, um, obviously Bon Jovi's big at this time, 1986. You're talking about, uh, and, and by the time that this video came out, I believe you're either at the end of 86 or into 87. So Slippery When Wet is big on the radio at this point. Um, uh, you Give Love a Bad Name is their big single, uh, I believe at this point. Um, they still, I don't think they had yet broken with, uh, wanted dead or alive or the other song was, it um, uh, never say goodbye. I don't think, but I could be wrong. Anyhow, Bon Jovi's in this video because Bon Jovi is the one who got them signed to their record contract. Um, so there's where the association comes in with Bon Jovi. Oh yeah. Um, you know, they're on the same label, Mercury Records. 
So that's that's a, a it's a big thing, um, it, and it's just funny because you know back then seeing things like that, you know, because you know back then videos were the thing to to watch. You know, MTV was huge at this point. I mean, MTV's I believe five years in. I mean, and it is the thing to do, uh, especially when it comes to music. You you want to watch the video. You have these world premieres and all this stuff. And and so when you get these bands that kind of cross over and bring in another band, especially one as big as Bon Jovi is at this point, you know, it's it's one of those, oh, cool, look, Bon Jovi's in the video, you know, type of thing. And, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, kids nowadays are not going to understand any of that as far as what that was like to, to experience those things back then. But... It was kind of cool. I'm sure there's with some of the modern pop videos, they do that same kind of thing, you know, crossovers and this and that. Um, but I don't are really there, follow. Are there that modern scene. pop videos that are actually, you know, good? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, so, just a couple notes on the actual song itself. I mean, it's a, it's a classic track, and um, again, what I'm noticing about the songwriting is that the vocal line. Everything is is written as support for the vocal line, so um, that kind of changed I think over time with Cinderella. But this first album, uh, Tom had a certain way of writing, and his uh, focus was very much around the vocalist. Well, you know, he is the only songwriter. <laughs> no, I know, uh, but but that's that's his perspective. So you have to think yeah. about it like. When a drummer writes a song versus when a guitarist writes a song, there's a different mentality there in the way it's approached. So he's he is obviously a guitarist as well and plays on this album, but um, he has that singer mentality when writing the song, I think. Yeah, no, it's definitely... You could tell that the, there's a lot of work put into the melody, mm -hmm. uh, especially into the verses. Um, sometimes, you know, at the detriment of the chorus, I guess you could say. Um, but at the same time, it's not so detrimental that the chorus is just like useless. No, you know? not at all. So um, that's one of the things, and, and we'll point that out when we talk about Tesla. There's a song like that that I, that I mentioned that has something similar to, to what you're talking about here. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. There's definitely, but that's what makes the song, these, these group of songs so good because there is so much work that he puts into that vocal melody oh, yeah. line that it, it, it works really well. Um, so moving on to song number eight on the album, uh, In From The Outside. This is a little bit of a funky kind of riff to it. Um, it's kind of cool in that regards. It's mid-tempo blues jam. Um, it, it has a little bit in the beginning of the verses that shows off Tom's normal voice, I guess you could say. But um, there's nothing normal about Tom's voice in general. Uh, he definitely has a very unique voice to some degree. You know, there's others out there that are like that, but not too many people do what he does or what the other ones that sound like him do. Um, you know, he's got that rasp, but at the same time, he has that. He can he can sing clean if he wants to. He just doesn't. He just chooses not to. Um, I think this is a pretty cool song. I love the funkiness of this song. Yeah, I mean it's a bluesier track than some of the, the previous ones we've just heard, um, and it's got that kind of sleaze to it that that I would say like a Motley Crue has. You know, it's so it's a little different than some of the previous tracks, um, while still maintaining that unique Cinderella sound. Um, 
you know, it's got a kind of a boogie to it. Like it's a very danceable, I would say. That that's more of yeah, you know, that's the, that's more of the correct word. Now that you mention a boogie as opposed to funky. Okay. Um yeah, cuz it's not like really funky like say like a Red Hot Chili Peppers or something like that. No, exactly. Yeah. No, it's definitely a boogie. Yeah. Um and it's it's got this kind of moody solo near the end of the song that I think is for me kind of the highlight it's it's what kind of leads the song out and i i do like that cool um so song number nine um is push push now this if you if you're looking at the title it pretty much tells you everything you need to know about what the song is about (laughs) uh it's an it's another cool riff it's it's a catchy chorus uh in that regards I, i i like the riff a lot on this one, it, it the the this main riff is one of those is, that drives the song. Um, of course, you know the vocal melody goes along with it, but there's so much to this song as far as knowing what it's all about <laughs> that it's just one of those like you you don't want to play it for mama type <laughs> type of songs. <laughs> so. I like. I really like the song, though. I think it's a really cool song. So to me, it sounds like the legally distinct version of "Let It Go," written for WCW in the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, because it it has it has some similarities to "Let It Go," but yeah, you know, I'm mostly joking. Um, it's a decent song, um, and it would be great for new mothers giving birth that are fans of glam metal. Yeah, that would be quite interesting if that was the way it was going down in in the hospitals back in those days. Um, but I could, I could, you know what? When you say it like that, I could definitely see um, someone doing that because just just the way people are. Oh, for sure. In general, put this um, all is... on Jeff. <laughs> yeah. We live in that part of the country where we can make that kind of fun. Yeah. And it actually be stereotypically true. <laughs> so anyhow, let's move past the push push. <clears throat> All right. Um, and the last song in the album, song number 10, is a song called Back Home Again. This to me, absolute killer riff. This is a jam. This is the heaviest song on the album. Probably the heaviest song that Cinderella has put out um, throughout their career. I mean, this is just, man, this song attacks you. It comes right at you in your face, but it is so good in that regards. I really, really like this song. Um, It's not one of those kinds of songs that's going to be a single. It's just one of those tracks that will just grab you, punch you in the face, and say you're gonna like me no matter what, and and, and it's a, it's a good song. I like this song a lot. I mean, it's a it's a very cool rocker to end the album. It's probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite track on the album. And it's you know it's got plenty of attitude. It's got the best guitar riff. Um, I I just think it's a great track. All right, there you go. That's the Cinderella album songs one through ten for Night Songs their debut. Um, so a little note. A little side notes on this album. The production for me on this album is way too compressed. It's very flat. There's not enough dynamics for my taste. Um, now, mind you, while the production is is still relatively clear, it's not muddy. Um, it definitely could have been better. Um, 
it doesn't take anything away from the songs, which is that's that's a good thing because sometimes you know you the production is so one way or the other as we've discussed over the over the past few years with, with you know on the show that it does take away from the album in this particular case it does not um so it, i like that part about it this album benefited from a ton of mtv exposure as chris mentioned with the three videos the trilogy uh finishing off with bon jovi um so you know there's there's that portion to it what made this album a smash and turned it into a triple platinum selling album um and on top of that the band toured relentlessly once they got out of the studio once they actually became a solid a solid once they solidified their lineup um they just went on tour and they just opened up for everybody and anybody that that would have them uh ultimately ending with bon jovi on the slippery when wet tour so that um, also helped drive the sales on this album. So what are your thoughts on it? So I would say it's a good debut album. Um, all your points are, are things that I kind of thought up uh, as far as the production goes. Um, it also kind of suffers from somewhat of a, an identity crisis because, um, you know, songs like Back Home Again, Hell on Wheels, Somebody Save Me, and From the Outside, they're all kind of more like rock glam kind of songs whereas a lot of the rest is very bluesy and it, it, that would more indicate where cinderella was going to go with their next few albums um so it's it's not quite as focused as it possibly could be but that's not necessarily a bad thing there's like that rawness of a new band that is very appealing so it's tough to say but it's you know, it's not quite as focused as maybe I would prefer, but that doesn't mean it's a bad album by any means. I I thought it was pretty solid. You know, for even though the band had started a couple years earlier, and um, as I mentioned at the beginning, they kind of, I said that they they paid their dues. They didn't pay their dues in the same way that some, you know the other bands that that constantly you know put on show after show after show and played you know in all the clubs. They when I when I talk about them paying their dues, it was more about you know really the 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 effort to try and get a record contract. Yeah. Um. And and that's it's different than paying your dues. Like for instance, like Twisted Sister paid their dues playing a million shows in the clubs until they finally got signed. That's a completely different way of paying their dues. Um. And you know, or even like Dokken, where Dokken had to go to Europe to basically get signed and to basically, you know, uh, get his band put together, even though it's all Americans, which is kind of weird. Um, but they, they became more famous in Europe right away than, than they did in, in their own home of LA at some, you know, so it, it's kind of different like that. Um, but you know, especially these guys were from Philadelphia, so they didn't have the same scene that, you know, like an LA and New York has. Yeah. But it definitely definitely worked out in their favor. I mean, they did they did put it in once they became a band though. It they I mean as you as you know, Cinderella as a band, as who they are, never played without the four guys that ended up being on the cover of this album and then playing the next three albums that they recorded. Um it, it was always Tom Kiefer, Eric Brittingham, Jeff Labar, and Fred Curry. Except for when they did, um, 
the last album, I can't remember, Still Climbing, they had, what's his face, um, God, the drummer for, uh, I always forget it's his Kenny name. Kenny Aronoff. Kenny Aronoff, yes, the drummer for, I was going to say the drummer for John Mellencamp. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kenny Aronoff played on that album, and that was the only time that they had someone else play and uh, and tour, basically. Um, but And even then, they felt uncomfortable with that, but that was just the, the situation at the time. Um, but once once that their heyday was over with, when they reunited, they never did it without the four, those four guys. So that's that was one thing that was always cool about that. Yeah, it's not it's not very common that a band stays together that tightly. I mean, we've seen right. some of these member lists that are eighteen miles long. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even Striper has succumbed to band member change finally after all these years. Well, I mean, Striper's <clears throat> uh, uh, what's his, Michael Sweet left for a while. But that was, I mean, but that they just be, went on hiatus at that point. No, they continued playing with um, who was the. Um, Oz Fox was the singer briefly. They had he left before they finished a tour, and and so Oz took over as the lead singer during that time for a few like maybe a, like six months, and so that was the first time. Like yeah, they didn't record anything, but uh, and then obviously Tim Gaines left the band multiple times, and he didn't even record on several albums. So that's a story for another time. All right, so that brings us to Tesla and um, Mechanical Resonance, which was their debut album, released December 8th, 1986, on Geffen Records. It was produced by Steve Thompson and Michael Barbiero, recorded at Bearsville Studios in Bearsville, New York. So there's some similarities there between that and Tesla, uh, uh, Cinderella's debut album. Tesla is Jeff Keith on vocals, Frank Hannon on acoustic and electric guitars, keyboards, and mandolin. Tommy Skiach, I believe the way you pronounce his last name. He's on acoustic and electric guitars. Brian Wheat on bass. And Troy Lucetta on drums and percussion. So the album peaked at number 32 on the Billboard album charts and was certified platinum in 1989. What do you got? All right, so the album starts off with Easy Come, Easy Go. Um, you know, it starts with an isolated drum beat and bass line, which could almost feel like a run DMC opening, honestly, um, if it were not for the guitar immediately ripping in. Um, it it builds from there to the main riff. The song has layers. It, it, if you ri- you got to listen to this multiple times because there's so many layers to it. Um, it goes softer and harder, but it keeps adding elements every time. Which is, I think, is really cool. And then the, you know, the vocals from Jeff come in, and he's just a fantastic singer. Um, the chorus is simple yet to the point, and I would say the solo right at like the two thirty mark is really awesome. So it's a great opener for the album. Yeah, it's an interesting opener. I mean, it's not as slow, it's not as plodding, and not as sludgy as Night Songs from Cinderella, but it's still can tell it's a blues song um i can tell immediately that the production is better on this album already mm-hmm. um I, I like the dynamics that they have in the in the verses um you know you know when you have the jeff is almost kind of talking you know with a little bit of accompaniment and then it kind of builds uh to the full band uh you know with jeff almost kind of shouting the lyrics i like that it's got a good groove this is a really cool song i do like the way this opens up the album 
Yeah, I mean it's it's a very solid start, um, but it's followed up immediately by coming at you live. Um, you could easily mistake the opening the, for this for a Van Halen track. I mean the the I agree. The, I agree. The guitar work that's going on. It's it, the only difference is that it's got two guitars kind of going back and forth, and it, obviously Van Halen would be one guitarist. Um, so after about a minute intro of just awesomeness um the song rips in and brian wheat's bass line is just solid from there um the persistent drum beat from troy is keeping the pace uh, but you know like blazing all the way through i'd say um the trade-offs back and forth between the guitarists are great and the while the chorus is simple you know it's it's fun it's straight to the point um you know it's it's not it's not like I, I think what I'm trying to say is so a lot of these metal bands at the time were uh, bad boys and I'm not getting that vibe just from these first two tracks but I'm getting like more positive kind of uh, fun vibe I would say from, from Tesla at this point with just two tracks in. Yeah I agree with you it's definitely not they're not they're not there's no sleaze yeah. there's no sleaze coming off this not at <laughs> this all. record um i agree with you on the on the van halen portion of this i definitely think there's a there's an eruption style kind of sound to it um and it's funny you mentioned that you know they're trading back and forth and that you know it's two guitars but you know eddie was only one guitar player but if you listen to eruption which i'm sure everyone has it almost sounds like there's two different guitar players playing that song yeah. and we all know it's just one so that that's what you know that's why eddie's way up there and everyone else is not <laughs> you know that's what makes eddie so great it's true um i love what were you gonna say i said it's true mm -hmm. i love how frank and tommy harmonize on the solo in the middle of the song i mean that that's outstanding it's just a great part of the song i mean this song is just one of those songs that is meant to you know grab your attention you know with guitar solos left and right and then you know the the, the jam between troy and brian you know and 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 the going back and forth with the vocals with jeff and then just sucks everybody in that's it's this is a live song and or meant to be a live song and that's what that's obviously by the title um it it adds to that flavor it, it i think it's a pretty cool song i agree so getting into the third track this is also the third single they would release um this is getting better if the intro wasn't inspiration to mark tremani and his creed songwriting i would be shocked because you honestly like you could hear like that kind of guitar playing at the very beginning um after a soft intro it turns into a classic rocker and again like what i said what i said before like it's just they, they have a very positive tone to them very positive uh message behind a lot of what they're saying and they're not the bad boy band that we've reviewed and others, but um, I'm I'm getting a, such a like good vibe from everything I'm listening to so far. I could I see I see your point there because Tesla's very different from everybody else. I mean, obviously they're not from L.A. They're from Sacramento, so they're Central Te uh, Texas. They're <laughs> Central California, um, so it's a, it's a completely different vibe and scene altogether in that part of the state. So they're not this, they're not this, you know, like you say, they're not these bad boys. They're just 
five guys that are jamming, you know, and having a really good time. They're really, really good musicians, all of them. You know, Troy is an excellent drummer. I love Troy's drumming. Um, and, you know, and Frank and Tommy have such a good uh, chemistry together as guitarists, you know, and you know, obviously Jeff's singing is, is unique to him. Um, it's, it's very, <clears throat> it can be very clean. It can be very raspy. You know, it can be down and dirty. He can do all those things with his voice. So it's cool. And, you know, Brian just holds that, that groove in the back and he's always been really solid. So I get what you're saying about that. This song, you know, I, I like the intro about it. I, I see your point now with, with the whole Mark Tremonti Creed thing. Uh, that's pretty, pretty funny. I, I never put that together. It, um, it just yeah. seems like so obvious, but at the same time, like way before Creed even, you know, existed. Um, but, but it's so funny. The similarity that's there. I was like, what that did I, am I on the right thing? <laughs> yeah. I, I like totally see it now that you bring it up. So, but I like this song. This song is, is, is really cool. I mean, I was listening to this song for a long time back in 1987. So I could tell you that, um, this whole album really um you know it's such a simple riff but at the same time it, it it does so much for the song and the chorus is catchy so all right so that takes us into too late for love um this is def leopards i mean wait a second um this is <laughs> a bit heavier than the last track obviously not a def leopard song um has a stronger attack, more metal sound. Um, honestly, kind of more of a Motley Crue sound, which is cool. Uh, solo's pretty interesting. Is it's more of a compilation of like well thought out screeches than I would say a traditional like arpeggio based solo. Um, if you listen to the song, you'll kind of understand what I mean. It's it is very different mindset, a different way of approaching a solo and. It's really impressive. I, I I see your point there. I now now that I think about it, yeah, I I, I like that. Um, what I like about the song, you know, it has that little drum march that, that starts the song, then the bass comes in, and then the guitar riff comes in. So it's a really quick build, but each one comes in at a separate, you know, in in their own section, um, you know, and then the whole band jams in there. Um, and I, I, for me, I'm one of those guys that really likes that whole start-stop thing where, you know, the guitars come in, they do a riff, they stop, it's, it's, then you hear just, just the drums, bass, and singer, and then they come back in with another riff. I like those kinds of songs. Um, and this is one of those. So this is one of, that's what attracted me to this song to begin with. And then, of course, you know, it's got that catchy chorus when, it, when, it's, when they're singing Too Late for Love. So I like it. It's a pretty cool song. Yeah, I mean, so far at this point, like the, uh, I'm seeing a lot more um, cohesiveness, I would say, in the album. Um, that takes us, though, into Rock Me to the Top, track five. Um, and that co really continues that, that cohesiveness. Um, it's the subtle nuances of Tesla's two guitar, guitar sound that I, I would say is like it's highly present here. And that's that really sets them apart. That really makes them unique in their sound. They they have not just two guitars that are two guitarists that work really well together, but they have both these. Uh, it's like 
if there's something going on, right, and the, and the focus is maybe at this moment on the vocal melody, then both of them put in these little elements that that keep it interesting behind the scenes. It's not just like a a chugging riff or this or that. There's there's so much going on that it's understated that's behind um, that I think is really impressive. So when you listen to say "Rock Me to the Top" or like I said with with "Easy Come Easy Go," um, you have to kind of listen behind it, like listen to it a couple times to really soak in whatever whatever's going on, and maybe pick an instrument and and say like I'm gonna focus on the bass line, and you'll hear something kind of interesting every time you listen to it that you maybe you didn't pick up on before. Um, you know, and it's funny to say about a song that's so simple, but like I said, it like it is just a simple rocker, but it it is it has got these elements of well trained musicians that you don't always get, and it adds spice to every song. And this is one that re- I really picked up on that. It's it's funny you you mentioned that because I have like some details on this one that are a little bit different than the rest of the songs. And <clears throat> this song, so what, what you're trying to say in, in, in essence is their songwriting is very nuanced. Mm-hmm. There's so much behind it. There's so much into all the interplay between all five guys. Um, and, and that's kind of what I mentioned with about the com the, the, about the chemistry between Tommy and Frank. There's just this, a lot of dynamics and a lot of interplay between the two of them that you can tell there's there's really good chemistry and it's not just them it bleeds out into everybody else you know if you look at the songwriting credits on this album you know it's it's not just one or two guys i mean all five members of the band have have songwriting credits throughout the album and so there's a lot of 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 thought put into all these songs and i agree with you it is is what separates this band tesla from all the other bands in la um and yes this song is specifically very nuanced you know there's that lot of interplay between tommy and frank there's there's that there's it's a chugger you know it's got a quick catchy riff you know troy does some really cool drum work in between the second verse and leading into the solo that is just done during that part of the song you know so there are a lot of you know you mentioned it when you and i were talking about the putting this this show together you talked about how tesla's kind of more progressive in that way Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of progressive elements on this album overall that makes tesla not your normal rock band and this song kind of highlights that yes exactly all right so that takes us into track six we're no good together now I would say this is the obligatory ballad for the album. Um, that's what I wrote down. Obligatory ballad. That's funny. <laughs> um, what sets this apart from many ballads, though, of the time, is it has a very bluesy tone. Um, Jeff Keith, man, his vocals here are just phenomenal, and they're on full display. They are the focus of the song for sure. As uh, background is more there to accentuate his vocals um something that we kind of addressed with cinderella i would say um until the solo like at the four minute mark i believe uh it's accompanied by you know like subtle piano but the solo's great um 
it's a it's a really good track. A little different than your typical ballad, I would say. Yeah. So what I was going to say about this song is it's it's definitely different than your typical ballad, and I, because of the differences, like so, I I think this song is one of those songs that you know it's the end of the night at the bar, and they throw this this song on there, you know, and it's like everybody's like you know choose your partner just because this is who you're going home with tonight type of thing, you know, and. It's it's that kind of slow ballad, it's a very blues ballad. So it's, it's not like there's nowhere close to a night. Uh, um, nobody's fool. Nothing like um, I won't forget you from Poison. Nothing like you know something to believe in or every rose has its thorn from Poison. It's not that kind of ballad. Mm-hmm. It is, and, and that's what why Tessa's so different. It brings them into a certain kind of light is yes this you are a blues band for the most part and um this is you know and they're they're saying this is where we're going to do our songs you know and it's just like a take it or leave it type of thing and it it's a great song but you can tell as far as like the way the rest of the world or the rest of the united states is uh oh, what's the word i'm trying to use uh, bringing in these these uh, love songs, these these metal ballads, monster ballads, as it was called later on, um, that this one doesn't have the same it factor that those songs have, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it, in in terms of record sales, in terms of popularity, it's definitely a bad thing in that regards. But it's not as far as if you're a, a true listener of music like we are you can appreciate a good song regardless of whether it had that it factor for it to become a hit on the radio you know what i'm saying yeah so and i agree with you right around that 342 mark is when it picks up the pace goes into that solo it's really good solo uh you know the song the song you know it kind of brings you into you know it's a different part of song almost kind of like you know how uh you know, Metallica and Testament did those ballads, uh, the metal ballads, where it was a slow beginning, and then all of a sudden now you have this blazing outro kind of thing. It's very similar to that, but it, it more in a in a blues rock based style. Yes, exactly. The one thing I'm noticing a lot is that they're utilizing solos to kind of play as the outro to songs sometimes. And that's yeah. cool. Uh, so, modern day cowboy. That's a track seven, and it. It's a pretty big hit. It's their first single, and I would say rightfully so. You know, this this was one of the ones that got a ton of airplay on MTV. Uh, a killer side to, or start to side two. And as we kind of mentioned before with Cinderella, you have to think about this in the time period that it came out in, too, is, is these albums were on vinyl, and they had to have an opener for both sides of the vinyl. And so every time the, you know, you would address it in this way, most bands I would say would put out their, you know, one of their strongest songs as the starter for each side of the album. And this is definitely a strong way to start it. Um, if, even if you're not really super familiar with Tesla, you've probably heard this track. Um, guitars would definitely be a highlight for me here i love that kind of cowboy outlaw theme and you know it's a bit harder and and heavier than some of the other stuff here and the solo and harmony again are just fantastic so what do you think i love the way the arpeggio lick opens a track 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's that verse that has that slow build and then has that 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 nice melody to it. There's a lot to like about this this song. There's a lot of layers to this song. Um, it's very well thought out for sure. And this is what this is why people were attracted to Tesla in terms of musicians and uh, other artists, as opposed to the immediate attention that you can get from, you know, your general crowd that's watching MTV. It's, you know, so you get the general crowd. Yeah. Well, this is a really cool song, but then you get that other group of people that are like, yeah, this is a really cool song. When you start to really break it down, you know, there's that one group that doesn't know how to break down songs. And then there's the other group that, that knows, Oh wow, this is really complex, you know? And modern day cowboy, he just has, brings all those people together in a way. And, it really kind of highlights this is the, one of the better songs in the album. This is why, and this is this is the reason why they they took off at this point because this you know the video helps obviously, you know, oh you for know, sure that that attracts that group in there, <clears throat> you know, and then you start listening to all the other cool songs that are on the album. But what what really sets it apart is the fact that you know it's so layered. At, you, you begin to say, wow, this is a really this this group is different, and that's why it, it was it, it was as successful as it was. So that takes us into track eight, changes. Um, so after it has a little bit of a piano intro, um, then it goes into I would say foreigner like vocals. Uh, if you're familiar with the band Foreigner, um, it's this is not a ballad, I would say, but it's it's got some ballad elements to it. Um, if you want to call it anything, call it like a heavy ballad. Um, slightly after the three-minute mark, you have another ripping solo, and that is followed by another one toward the end of the song that kind of serves as the lead-out yet again, another element that they've they've done with other tracks. And, you know, it's pretty cool. I, I would say this is one of their stronger songs of the album. This, this, this song is very unique in that regards. You know, it starts off with that, that piano-keyboard intro, uh, sounds like a piano um and it leads into a single guitar riff that kind of turns into more of like a constant hum in the background i guess you could say yeah you know it's and it's it's not your it's not a straight thing it kind of has a little bit of a tremolo to it like almost in terms of vocals of vibrato it just kind of goes up and down throughout the song it's 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 there's something about this song that that's attractive because it's not your it's not your typical love song ballad for sure, um, it it it's a very moody song, mm-hmm. um, and it's also very reflective lyrically. So it, it's it's got so many cool elements to it. it as a listener, someone you, you really got to listen to the whole thing to kind of understand where we're coming from from this thing, um, because it's just not a ballad per se when you're talking about love songs or, or, you know, like even, even from the difference between that and we're no good together, it's just two different songs, you know? Um, yeah. but yet they're both slow in that regards, you know, you, you, you compare it to all, you know, for instance, let's say Dawkins alone again, it's not that kind of song, but you, you know, it's, like not Dawkins, at all. right? No. Dawkins alone again is is like what I mentioned before. When with no we're no good together, there was 
the the certain the MTV monster ballad kind of things where you know Dawkins fits into that where we're no good together and definitely changes does not fit into that mold whatsoever. But changes is just cool. It's just, there's something about it. It's almost kind of like um almost kind of scary movie ish to some degree. <laughs> but it's it's the lyrics are not like that. It's just a really interesting song. It, it's more introspective than I would say a lot of ballads were at the time, where ballads were more about like missing someone or, right. you know, so it's different. It's more of like self-reflecting in a way. So Exactly. Uh, that takes us into track nine, Little Susie. Uh, this was their second single, and it is a cover of the PhD song, uh, Little Susie's Up, On the Up, sorry, Little Susie's On the Up. Um, this is very different from the version that version of the song um opting to use acoustic guitars and have a more grounded folksy sound as opposed to the synthesizers of the original i thought that was an interesting approach considering that most of this album is very uh metal kind of sounding and it does have that there's there's still that electric sound to this particular track but because they use the electric i mean the uh, the acoustic guitars it has more of a a worldly sound, which is really cool. I thought this was one of the be- best tracks on the album, to be honest. Um, and it's you know it has more of a relaxed tone than a lot of the stuff here, but it ties in really well because the guitars really bring in that Tesla sound, even though it's a cover and even though it's it's you know acoustic guitar, it still ties in so well. You know, um, when 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 bands, especially bands' debut albums, this ten, there always tends to be some sort of cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I don't know if it's because they don't have enough songs, which in this case is not the case, um, or it's just one of those things that they were doing covers in the bars when they were playing and the clubs that it became one of their own. You know, there's a few bands out there that are like that. Um, yeah. In this particular case, it's it's very different. Uh, it's very strange as far as this song. You know, you you mentioned it's different from the original, but the way I heard it, yes, it's different from the original because it doesn't have any keyboards in it, like like the original. But r- arrangement wise, it's almost the same. Instrumentation you know? is very different. And that's more right. of what I'm in, referring yeah, to. Instrumentation is very same, the same. The arrangement of the song is very close to the original. Um, the the biggest difference is that the acoustic intro. I mean that that doesn't exist in, in the original song, and I it it the acoustic intro adds so much to it because you now know that this song is going to be you know with with acoustic guitars in it, um, and that changed the, the dynamics of the song uh, completely. And Jeff's I've, vocal approach too is a little different in the way he sings it, um, and I think that's also what I picked up on as well. True. Then, considering that the original singer is English and he sings with that overly English accent on there, that it it definitely uh, you know. They, and this the, the original when I was when I was watching the video, um, the original is kind of like almost goofy like. Um, the video yeah, it's, goofy it, as shit. It's in a butcher <laughs> shop, and yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, and you know, pulling out a, a keyboard, you just literally unrolling a keyboard on the on, yeah. on the, in the first scene. So there's there's a goofy element to the song, um, and then it, there's a there's a what would it call that um, circus esque vibe to it, you know, 
right? It's just a weird song in, in the video. So, yeah, so they really what Tesla did is made it a song the way it should be. You know, they made it a legitimate song as opposed to a goofy song. Uh, and I, I like what they did with it. It is one of the better tracks on the album for sure. So I like it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I get what you're saying, like making it um, what it should be. But I mean, I I, I take it that way, but also the I have a respect for the original version as well. Um, but yeah, I get where you're coming from when you say that because it is a more legitimate song. Yeah. Um, that takes us to track 10. Love me. I would say most songs around this era, 10 tracks was kind of where an album was, was trying to hit at. A lot of times they're trying to get an album out and then tour and then put another album out tour, etc. We talked about that more like with the seventies and early eighties. Is Kiss we mentioned in our episode previously, um, where the tour cycle, album cycle is very short. Um, so I think it's interesting sometimes when I see albums that have more than 10 songs around this time period. Um, and sometimes I feel like it wasn't necessary, and this is kind of one of those cases where it's not a bad track, uh, but it does feel a bit more like filler. Everything up to this point to me, very, very solid. Um, what I do like about this track, though, is the talk box solo. It's probably the most interesting thing, along with the uh, traditional solo that's really quite good. And, you know, gives a, it a bit, a bit more life toward the end of the song. But for the most part, to me, this is kind of filler. I agree with you on that as far as filler is concerned. Um, although, you know, for me, the song there is a little bit of attractiveness to the song because it has that start stop kind of vibe to it um although from it came across as pretty standard stock if you want to call it that um the chanting chorus is kind of what makes this song a little bit better than your standard stock song um so it's it it, you know it's filler but it's kind of like a a step above yeah it's, it's like i said it's not a bad track by any means and it's it's more based on like the everything else was so solid that this just feels like a step down. But if you put it on many other people's albums, it would be better than their stuff. So, right. you know. Yeah. And and I, I agree with you. It, it was one of those things where, you know, there's six songs on each side of the record. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, this is a long record for the most part. Yeah. Um, which is unusual because, you know, they tried to keep things, you know, definitely around the 45-minute mark. And this one blows past that. Um, but at the same time, for the most part, for 12 songs, I mean, this is pretty solid, uh, getting up to this point. So yeah, you're starting to get to that level where it's like, all right, maybe we went a little bit too far. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's, it's, you're starting to get towards the end of the album. A little bit of fatigue. Yeah. Um, so that takes us into track 11 cover queen. Uh, this again has a little bit of a Van Halen sound at times. It's not bad. Um, it doesn't really have the teeth to fill those shoes, though. Like it just doesn't have that that strength that um, was it um, coming at you live has with the Van Halen sound. 
Um, around the two minute mark, there's another talk box kind of like brief moment, and then there's a bass slide and a brief guitar solo that they, they kind of follow each other back to back to back. It creates this really interesting tandem. Um, once it picks up the pace at the end, though, it's really not bad. I just wish it did that earlier in the track. Like if it just hit that that like faster pace earlier, I think this would be a much better track. This comes. This song comes across to me as like almost experimental to some mm -hmm. degree. There's a lot of different things being meshed together on this on this track. Um, I mean, I I like the start stop thing about it. You know, in the verses, um, you know. It's you know the intro riff is definitely different than the main riff, which is pretty pretty cool in itself. Um, chorus is different because there's a lot of there's a lot of words in the chorus, but when you get to the title of the song, it's just the, the last thing right before it goes into the, the the riff before the verse. So there's there's some things about it, and there's a lot of words said too. It's just like he jumbled up a whole bunch of stuff that he wanted to say, leading him to that you know saying cover queen. Yeah. So it, there's there's Definitely, to me, it's kind of one of these, you know, it's it's a, an amalgamation of many different ideas that they wanted to try and get into one song. Although it's completely unlike, you know, Metallica throwing 100 riffs into one song. This is kind of a 100 different ideas uh, that they're trying to throw into one song. So, But I guess you could do that when you're on song 11, you know, and you're 50 minutes into an album. <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, so... That brings us into the closer for the album, which is Before My Eyes. Now, this is different. This is a different way of ending an album. You know, it's slow, moody. It has a little bit of a build and some psychedelic elements. Um, you know, but it never, it never really quite hits that crescendo that you're expecting. It's like it, it, um, it just kind of ends you know <laughs> it does kind of end on a weird lick it's like you you expect this album after everything that you've gone through listening to this album you expect it to kind of end on a roar but it ends on a whimper you know it just kind of ends and it's not bad and i think it's one of those ones that you should give multiple listens to to really gather everything that's being done but to me man this was not necessarily the right way to end the album and maybe that'll grow on me over time it hasn't so far um <laughs> but i think everybody's gonna get something different out of this particular track because it is like if you love like pink floyd and psychedelic music and stuff like that then it's probably gonna appeal to you but if you're not a fan of that kind of music it's kind of a weird way to end, end the album yeah, the the song right reminds me of like a late night jam. They're just in the studio and they're just you know, hey, let's do this, and they start playing and they start doing this and they start going into this direction and then they're in another direction and they're all probably high and stoned at this point. You know, it, it kind of has that vibe to it. I get I I, I get the psychedelicness to it. Uh, like you mentioned, it just kind of ends on a weird note. Um, the vibe that I got off of it as it kept progressing was how like the outlaw torn from Metallica just kind of is way too fucking long, <laughs> you know? but it's even that builds up and builds up and builds up and comes to some kind of crescendo 
Whereas right. this one doesn't. It just ends. It it literally just ends. You know, and I'm like, I was listening to it, and I'm like, is that right? <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's just so weird. But, you know, there are songs like that throughout music history that do that, you know, and for one yeah. reason or another, you know, things things happen like that. So it is what it is. Um, that's the end of the album, you know. So you're 53 minutes in, you know, you get through song 12, you're like, okay, that's and- it, it's over. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe I'm overselling the way that it is. Like it's not it's not bad by any means. It's just everything before it was just better. Oh so. no, everything before it was so stellar. And then to to kind of end it with the, the the these last few songs the way it kind of ended and then this one just kind of literally just meandering, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. It it is kind of odd that yeah. it ended that way. Like you can almost take Rock Me to the Top and put it on the end and it would have been better. Possibly, yeah. Um, so, so overall, it's really strong for stouting. Uh, Tesla, Tesla, Tesla would only grow in their songwriting, uh, but this is a really solid start. I feel like the name "Mechanical Residence" is is the perfect name for this album, as that kind of theme feels prevalent throughout even on tracks like the the more folksy, bluesy stuff. It still has that like that that metal sound that's permeating through the album um you know i don't necessarily feel like it's a front-loaded album even though i would say the the strongest stuff is is there at the beginning but i don't feel like anything was specifically front-loaded for that reason i think it flows the way it should even though i think that the, the closer should have been a stronger closer um, but the production's crystal clear. Every instrument can be discerned. You, like you, if you want to listen to the bass, you can hear the bass. If you want to listen to the guitar and focus on that, you, you can hear it. So it it is better production overall, I would say, than than Night Songs was. Um, what do you think? Um, I I agree with what you're saying, and and it's funny if you break it down per side. Okay, each side is front loaded. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know you got six songs on each side. So you know the first half, I guess you could say, is is the better half of the of the of the side. The same thing, modern day cowboy, little Susie being song three on side two. You know, so it's 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 that way. The first half is is front loaded. So so basically, you're talking about you know uh, first quarter and the third quarter of the album. So that that's pretty weird. So it's if you look at it as two different entities, and yeah, it's front loaded in that regard. So I agree with you there, but it's not necessarily when you look at it as a whole, you put it as twelve tracks as CDs do now. You know, then now you have a really really strong middle part of the album. So mm-hmm. it is kind of unique in that regards. Um, yes, the production is great. I, I said that immediately recognized that once you you you're listening to the drum and the bass come in on that on the first notes yes this is much better produced than say night songs was um but on the strength of the first single modern day cowboy this song hooked me i mean i'm i was an mtv boy at you know in the mid 80s you know when when i first got my mtv because i didn't get it the as soon as it came out 
uh, I believe it started in 81. So I got it in 82. Um, you know, from 82 to about 1990, I was just all in on MTV. You know, I, I wasn't the kind of person that did the dial MTV crap and stuff like that. But I watched, you know, you know, when Headbangers Ball started, I recorded them all on VHS. I have them all. <laughs> you know, mm. or most of them. You know, there was a point in time where I ended up getting away from it all, but um, you know, I didn't want to miss it, so I would record it. You know, in two hours, you know, I got my two-hour VHS tape, and I'm I'm checking. I mean, I have a list somewhere in my paperwork where I broke down where you know what songs were played every single episode and how many times they played a particular song for the longest time. Um, appetite, uh, excuse me. Um, what's the song? Welcome to the Jungle was was leading on on the, how many times that video was played in 1987, 88. So that tells you something there. Anyhow, getting back to Tesla, it 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 was one of those albums. You know, when Modern Day, when I saw the video for Modern Day Cowboy, I was immediately hooked. I went out and bought the album. Um, listening to the album, I was like, wow, this is great. I turned around to my best friend. I said, dude, you have to get this album. It is awesome. And he he was always skeptical, but I always told him, I said, dude, would I, would I steer you wrong about an album? You know, and I he bought it, liked it, you know, and then same thing happened the following year when Appetite for Destruction came out. I had moved away um, from uh, from New York to Miami and I called him up and I said, hey, dude, you got to get this Guns N' Roses band. This album is amazing. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, dude, amazing. Another 12-song album. So it goes to show, you know, take my advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this album's great. I, I, I love this album. This is uh, one of those. It is definitely one of my favorites that, came, that essentially was a 1987 album. Yeah, I mean it's it is surprisingly good and I would say somewhat overlooked. Um but well, it definitely got it definitely got overlooked once Appetite for Destruction hit. Yeah. This album got totally overlooked. Definitely. I mean th- that's somewhat to be expected because Appetite was such a huge album and appealed to so many people. Exactly. Um so what uh which album do you think is better? All right. So when you break it down like this, right, there's there's so many things that favor one in, in a certain style and favor one in another style. Um, but I'm going to look at it as a whole, including the time that the fact that I literally lived through this. Um, and as far as for me, when you're talking about the things that I preach left and right, hook, 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 I have to go with Cinderella as a debut album because it was just just oozing hooks it was so catchy and they were all over the place okay um well i'm going in a different direction um i really enjoy mechanical resonance i think it's a more cohesive album um i i enjoyed the production a lot more but more so than that the the musical talent of all the players at this point is leagues above what they're doing in Cinderella. You know, the the nuances, the subtleties that are are keeping things interesting behind the scenes, I think, is even more powerful. 
And while I think Cinderella, you know, is is great and they're 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 a bluesy band, that that would be better on their next album. And I think they really understood who they were by that point. Um, you know, unfortunately, their career is very short uh, with only four albums. But um, yeah, I just I really thought that uh, Mechanical Resonance was just it's a better album. And it's unfortunate that it's kind of overlooked at this point. I, you know, f- for some of the points that you're putting out, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, I, I love the songwriting uh, aspect of what Tesla does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as a collective, you know, 10 songs to 12 songs, um, that, that with, you know, notwithstanding, I think that the, the, just the songs themselves as you, as a collective, that's, I went with Cinderella's because it was, to me, there was more to enjoy as a collective, uh, in that regards. Plus I'm also a little bit more of a, a glam metalhead than you are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair. You know, it's, right. it's, that's a fair assessment. So I think, I think either way you go with this one, uh, I think you're winning. Yeah. And if you're listening out there, you know, put both of them together, pay close attention and come up with your own assessment. Okay, so that brings us to this week's Big Four, which is the Big Four Tesla songs. Um, we didn't go with Cinderella because we have other plans for Cinderella uh, in the future. But we're doing Cinderella's, uh, excuse me, we're doing Big Four Tesla songs. Um, what do you got? All right. Um, so my number four is going to surprise a lot of people, but um, it's possibly the first tesla song i ever heard and it came from a fantastic soundtrack and that is last action hero um so yeah it's probably not one of their best songs but it's very nostalgic for me and it does have a really awesome riff to it so um if you haven't heard the last action hero soundtrack you're missing out you need to go pick that one up because, or listen to it. I guess you could probably just stream it. But I think a lot of the stuff that's on it from streaming services has been taken off due to licensing issues and this and that. Um, so you may have to find it as a CD to find it as as a full collection. Um, but it's got ACDC, Alice in Chains. Who else Aeros- is on there? Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's a really good Cypress uh, Hill. Oh yeah. Um, oh, a, I, I love that soundtrack. That's a great sound. It's one of the better rock uh, soundtracks out there, rock metal soundtracks. I mean, even though Cypress Hill is not metal, but underrated movie and uh, underrated soundtrack. So, uh, my number three is going to be Modern Day Cowboy. Um, I like that song a lot. It's it's one of the ones that really kind of got me into Tesla. I wasn't as familiar with them before, and. Um, that's one of the few that I, I knew before I went to see them live. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great song. It's a great intro song to their discography. If, if that's like a a good, like entry point. So definitely check that one out. Uh, my number two is little Susie off of mechanical resonance. Now I understand that it's a, it's a cover, but it is very much distinctively, tesla like it is their version of the song and i think most people would consider it a tesla song that not even knowing that it's a cover so um that might be debatable you know being i mean on it's an obscure cover because who the hell's phd 
Yeah, you know, exactly. they had they had two. They had one hit, and this is not one of them technically. Yeah. And this was <laughs> a huge hit for them. So. Exactly, it was it was big in England. That's about it. Yeah. All right. So um, my number one though is "Hang Tough" off of the Great Radio Controversy. Now, that's an album we need to talk about in the future because it is fantastic. But um, "Hang Tough" is by far my favorite riff that they have. Um, it's a it's just an awesome song and um it's man it's it's just that much above everything else for me that it really puts it as my number one wow that's pretty cool um i we actually have two songs okay on the list i i like that list i, I like your big four there um it's it's hard to go wrong with what you what you put down um i forgot about the last action hero but that aside, I probably wouldn't have chosen it anyway. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I don't think most people would, would pick it. But again, this is our big four. And, right. and you know, it's one of those songs that I remember and I was hooked on. So, No, absolutely. All right. So number four for me is Hang Tough. That's your number one. Um, to the great radio controversy, the funny thing about that album is there are several good songs throughout that album. The, the, the song that broke that album was love song which i think if i'm not mistaken is the last song in the album um so that kind of tells you to me that they didn't have a lot of expectations for that song um it's not it's that's actually song number 11 out of 13 um so it's really deep into the album but uh at the same time they that's you know obviously with modern day cowboy being in the half in the, the second half of the album little susie being towards the, the the you know three quarters of the way through the album that tells you that they don't plan out their their albums the same way other people do so that's that's good in in that regards but hang tough i mean there's several songs on that on that great radio controversy that i could have picked from but hang tough was was the better one for me but i you know unlike you um, I have other favorites that I really, really enjoy. <laughs> um, so were, number three, I'll be honest. There was, there was a couple that I, I wanted to pick as well, but it was just like, you know, it's tough yeah. and you have to really think about what, what, you know, matters to you the most in that regard. So, right. And, and hang tough is one of those songs. Like we've talked about with this first time, there's just so many different nuances throughout that song and, and, and the layering. It's mm-hmm. a very good song. I like it a lot. Um, but for me, number three is your number three, Modern Day Cowboy. Uh, again, we've already talked about that song, um, Left and Right, and all the nuances with that song. So that's my number three. Um, but then the next two songs come off the same album for me. Um, number two for me is Edison's Medicine. Um, I love that song. Uh, it's, it is, all right. So if, you know, we talked about nuances and we talk about little in their songwriting. If you listen to that song, you know, and you're playing, you're tapping your finger along to the beat, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself off a half a beat because at a certain point in the second part of the verse, they change the, the drumming changes, or it's, it might be the pre-chorus. I can't remember what it is, um, but they change beats. He, he goes, uh, Troy goes off. He's, he basically takes a half beat off and then starts playing. You know, from that point, it's just weird. And it happens every every verse, you know, before the chorus. It goes in and it changes and it goes back. Once the chorus hits, it goes back to normal. And then 
second half of the the next verse, it goes through and plays off beat. It is one of the most unique things that you can hear on there, and and you don't really notice it because you know most people are not you know these fantastic musicians. You know they just kind of like tapping along. It's like oh, I just missed a beat, you know, and you didn't realize that they really didn't miss a beat. They just you know Troy is that much better than everybody else on drums. <laughs> uh, and number one for me off the same album as as good as Edison's Medicine is for me. Um, there's just a lot to the lyrics. And there's a lot to the to the to the mood of the song. But what you give is my favorite Tesla song. Um, and it's the lyrics is really what hooked me. Um, the moodiness of the song, just the the simple acoustic guitars with Jeff singing, uh, and then it breaks. You know, then the whole band comes in a little bit midway through. I love that song. Um, it's just one of those songs I can sit and listen to. It's a, it's a it's a love ballad if you would look at it that way. That I just close my eyes and I can just sit back and relax to that song. I love that song. That's my number one. Edison's Medicine was was on my list and then it got pushed off so how dare uh, you that's a good song um but yeah that's a great list as well i mean tesla has a really good discography and uh if you're not familiar with it it's definitely worth checking out the unfortunate part very similar to cinderella although tesla went back to recording um their first four albums were the ones that really mattered the most and even the fourth one for both bands was almost insignificant um, mm-hmm. It was the, really the first three, um, but Tesla continued their career after after 2000, and they they started recording again. And they've put out several really good albums over the over the years. It's just nothing ever hit like the stuff early in the in the in the day. So that's one thing you know that is is unfortunate due to today's way that we consume music. You know, it's 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 so much different with the with the the fall of record companies, the way they fell, it's so different now. And I'm pretty sure they've got some good songs on the, on the more modern albums, but I just haven't paid attention to them enough to, to really uh, absorb it. Yeah, it's it's tougher sometimes when you, you love those classics and you hear the new stuff and it's not quite as good and all it does is kind of make you want to go listen to the classics. Um, right, but sometimes if you if you sit and just listen, you find things that you never thought you would. So, and that's that's what I've enjoyed also about you know doing this show is that you find a lot of things that you you never thought you would enjoy. So, yeah, you discover new music and discover new styles, and it's it's pretty cool. I've enjoyed it. All right, well, that's our big four Tesla songs, and that's all we have for this episode. So by now, you should know the drill. Just click like, subscribe, or you download the show to your favorite device. You press play, you sit back, you relax, and listen to us whenever you want. And don't forget you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when we post a new episode. So tune in to the next week when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya.